With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, as, as I've kind of re- reflected, looked back on it, um, and then, and then uh, as I was, frankly, probably decided after watching the film, of the game. I went through a whole process and, and you can imagine how hard that was for me with the relationship with Mark over time and a long time. I, I just came to the conclusion for the reasons that I gave in there. I just thought this change would be good. If you're a college football coach and you have an opportunity to join Nebraska football team, it's, it's, it's the pinnacle of, of uh, performance in this sport in college football. And then a layer on that is the black shirt defense. So if you grew up like I did as a defender uh, uh, in elementary school and high school and, 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 and college, and then as a coach, you know the Nebraska black shirt defense. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washhead and Nate Klaus, as you just heard from head coach Mike Riley, and just more on his thought process of making this coaching move and bringing in defensive coordinator Bob Diaco. And then that was the first formal introduction we had late Friday afternoon with Coach Diaco as he uh, met with a very large group of reporters um, just being introduced for the first time and, and giving Husker fans kind of an insight of what he's all about. And there's no doubt. I mean, this is a guy that is going to bring passion. Um, you know, he, I think there's definitely a difference with him and Mark Banker um, with, with just how he's going to be, you know, going about his business and maybe some of his leadership qualities as a coordinator and, um, and just the personality he brings. And, uh, Mike Riley even said uh, the move to the 3-4 was really something he wanted to do uh, when he was in Canada. They were the only team that ran a 3-4 defense. Um, he looked at the roster. He started studying it throughout the season. And I think in his mind, he knew that the 3-4 defense um, was the best move for the long term of this program. And Bob Diaco was the guy that was going to get them there. Robin, what were your impressions? I know you were off on that side interview with Diaco um, this past week. Um, what were your early thoughts? Just hearing some more from him other than what he had to say up front. Yeah, you know, I think there's just one thing that stood out was obviously he's a very detail-oriented person. He likes things to be done in a very specific way and uh, holds people to a very high standard in, in doing that. But uh, on the same token, I mean, he's also kind of uh, shown that he's a little bit flexible, too. Um, you know, he said that uh, his 3-4 scheme is not set necessarily set in stone in your prototypical 3-4. I mean, they have some elements of a, a 4-2-5 um, and are willing to kind of work around the pieces at their disposal uh, to kind of maximize um, the, the talent um, and the strengths of your defense. So uh, this isn't going to be something where he's going to come in right away and force a square peg into a round hole. I think that he's more than willing um, to ad- adapt 
and adjust around what Nebraska has coming back this season. Um, and also, he's, uh, he made it very clear he's going to listen to a lot of input uh, from the rest of the defensive coaching staff because uh, clearly they know the personnel a whole lot better than he does right now. Um, and then he's also going to uh, get some thoughts from the players, too, about uh, what they like and what they're comfortable with. So um, this isn't going to be something where he just comes clean sweeps the defense and makes you know his stamp on it i think he's going to take a, a lot of different advice from a lot of different people and uh, kind of come up with the best um you know scheme uh, to work around what nebraska has while also kind of implementing uh, his plan yeah i think it was i think it's safe to say he came in and won the press conference that's for sure i mean he came across as a really impressive guy passionate guy really intense um, you know, but it was more to me. It was more than just a guy coming in and, and saying all the right things. I mean, he can back it up. I mean, he's he's had you know great defenses in the past. He he's he comes from a lineage of uh, of great football minds. You know, I think that was one of the more impressive things that that uh, that he I heard him talk about. You know, when he's talking about learning from Al Groh and and all the different coaches that that he's learned from and and how he's kind of adapted things and everything. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a good fit here. It, it's going to be interesting to me to see. I mean, he, he came across as a very East Coast type of guy, whereas, you know, Riley and a lot of the other guys on the staff are, you know, more laid back West Coast type. So uh, that's that's kind of an inter- interesting dynamic, in my opinion. But, uh, um, yeah, for, for the most part, I was pretty impressed with, uh, with the press conference and with the, his first impression, I guess. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we talk about the impact of this Bob Diaco hire. I did think it was funny. Uh, one of the players that gave him a big welcome, former players on Twitter, was Jason Peter giving uh, the Jersey boy Bob Diaco um, his his own welcome, um, as I know uh, Peter was pretty excited about this move. But uh, we did get some answers on maybe some future personnel things, particularly the nose. And uh, Carlos Davis, Mick Stoltenberg are the two early candidates. And Nate, I'm going to ask you this one here. Um, yeah, I think there's some a lot of experts on this nose and this 3-4 on the Red Sea Scrolls. It's been a lot of discussion. Um, Coach Diaco more or less say that they're not going to be what a, a two gap scheme maybe initially where that requires you to have the big wolf fork or Vincent Valentine type nose guard in the middle. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. And, and um, I think it's nice when you when you have that guy on your roster that you can. They're you hard can, to find though. Yeah, but yeah, they're hard to find. There's there's uh, probably only a handful of true players like that in each recruiting class. Like Shelvin and Damian Daniels are two, right? Yeah. And, and there's maybe two or three more out there that that really are, are ready made guys. Yeah, ready made. You know, space eater. 6'2", 320, 340 pound type of guys. What's that one? It was a Juan Dixon, the guy from Iowa that went to Wisconsin, that was a big Iowa kid. Remember that? What was that D tackle's name? Yeah, he's committed and decommitted to like eight schools. Yeah, he's like 6'1", 365 pounds. Um, Strange strange recruiting uh, but yeah they're just not out there there aren't a lot of guys like that out there and and you it's more than just being big too you have to be you have to be uh athletic and uh so that's why i kind of lean more towards a guy like uh carlos davis playing that nose guard uh position for nebraska in this three four I, i think that not only is he uh very quick and athletic guy but he's also he's also strong he was you know the lifter of the year um, has made great gains in, in the weight room over the past, you know, two years that he's been on campus. So I think he's a guy that that uh, probably is going to fit in there right away. Um, and then you know you got to give Bob Diaco and John Perella kind of a year to 
to to bring in some more guys. You know, if Nebraska can close out this year's recruiting class fairly well, I think you all of a sudden you you bring in quite a few bodies that kind of fit that mold. You know, if you land a Damian Daniels who's 6'2", 320 pounds, uh, I think he would be a phenomenal fit up front there. Could play as a freshman. Yeah, could play as a freshman. Uh, Deontay Watts is is 6'2", 315 pounds. That's already committed. Uh, it's almost like they've been recruiting for this when you look at some honestly, of these D linemen that they have because their defensive ends weren't really 4-3 D ends. No, they, they weren't. And then and then you have a guy like DeAndre Thomas who is only you know, 6'2", 260 pounds, but he's he's played in the 3-4. He's extremely athletic. I think he could play all across uh, the, that front line um, and do a number of different things. So it is I, I like the personnel they're bringing in so far, uh, and and I feel like it's probably only going to become more refined and, and better uh, going forward now that Diaco's on board. And as we wrap it up here, Robin, a couple other notes of interest. They're going to make the final staff hire on defense after signing day. Um, expect that to be uh, probably a safety coach in the secondary, Mike Riley said. There are also some questions about the future of Trent Bray uh, when Bob Diaco said he'll be coaching the linebackers. And then uh, to make it even more interesting, the detectives on Red Sea Scrolls noticed Bob Diaco wasn't initially following Trent Bray on Twitter. Um, and, and that sure got, but he, he now does follow him on Twitter. And I think there are some questions kind of about Bray's kind of status in this new um, staff when you've got a linebacker guy running the defense in, in Diaco, but as of right now, Trent Bray is is squarely on the staff and in a part of things. Yeah, and let's keep in mind he's Bob Diaco's had a Twitter account for like maybe seventy two hours. He didn't have season. a <laughs> and he didn't have a Connecticut one, or he, he just shut yeah. her down, or I don't know what the deal was there. Yeah, so I I put zero stock into that. But uh, one thing that he made, and another point that he made clear, um, was that Trent Bray um, is going to have a role. I mean, just because Bob Diaco said he's going to work with linebackers on a daily basis um in a three four scheme you basically need two linebacker coaches because it's such a bigger group uh between the two inside guys and the two outside guys so in the quote-unquote classroom settings like film and position meetings Diaco's going to kind of run the show there but when they get on the field they're basically going to break those linebackers up into two groups so Diaco will handle one group and then Trent Bray will handle the other so yeah I mean it's probably not ideal for Trent Bray but you know I think that uh to make this thing work uh, they're gonna need all hands on deck and Trent Bray will have a big role all right, well, we've got a full show on tap. We are going to talk some Husker hoops and then take your questions in the mailbag, but we reserve some extra time for Nate Klaus as we are in crunch time. So our final two segments today will be all recruiting as there is just a ton to go over here as we sit uh, less than a week away from signing day. But we'll get an update on Husker hoops. Can they bounce back after that uh, tough loss at Rutgers and, and get things turned around? We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. On that plane ride home from Rutgers, I was, you know, sitting next to my daughter, and, um, you know, I just, I said to myself, you know, if, if we don't walk out of this plane with a determined mindset, then we could be in trouble. So I huddled the guys up at the back of the plane, I'm like, listen, we're not going to blame ourselves. We're not going to blame, I'm not going to blame the players, you can't blame the coaches. You're not going to blame this guy or that guy for not getting the rebound or falling down or whatever it could be, right? We could blame the refs, I don't care, right? We're not going to blame anybody. You know, we're just going to look at it for what it is, know that we should have confidence that we can win anywhere at any time, right? And go out and dig ourselves out of this. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Coach. That was head basketball coach Tim Miles as Nebraska suffered their second 
basically last second loss, uh, one point losses to Ohio State and Rutgers. Um, just just tough, tough ways to lose games because honestly, this team right now is three and four um, going into the Thursday game against Northwestern. Easily could be five and two. Um, and, and the margin for the middle of the Big Ten is so thin, and, and those are kind of the 50-50 breaks that you need to kind of break up to that upper group. We bring in Robin Washett now, and Robin, the road will not get easier. Uh, obviously, Northwestern Thursday, but then Purdue, then Michigan State, at Iowa, then Wisconsin. Um, it's as tough of a stretch as this team will see on their conference schedule coming up here. Yeah, certainly not uh, an ideal situation here. And if you remember going into this past week, um, this was a big opportunity, uh, kind of a, a defining week for Nebraska. I mean, coming off two straight um, losses to Northwestern and Michigan, Nebraska was favored to beat Ohio State at home. And then you go against a Rutgers team that was 0-6 in league play uh, and had won one Big Ten game uh, in his past 40 attempts. And so that was a, as good of an opportunity to get your season back on track as Nebraska is going to get all year. And they f- failed to capitalize yeah, Arguably the both. worst Ohio State team Nebraska's yeah. played since they've been in the Big Ten. And and they let yet another uh, two opportunities slip through their fingers. And so that's uh, kind of been the story of this season. I mean, Nebraska's been close but no cigar far too many times. And now they're sitting at a point where uh, if they don't pull off something magical – um, you really got to question if there's really any chance left at a legitimate postseason bid. But um, the one thing is, I mean, with the beauty of this conference is I, I don't know what to think. I mean, we're this far into the league play, and I still don't have any idea what the Big Ten conference well, the top is. Well, the, the top of the league has definitely separated. There are four teams, Maryland, Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern, that have kind of pulled ahead. And then Indiana, I think you can make a case. Wisconsin. Yeah, you said Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, Indiana is up there and. Uh, Michigan State's kind of fighting themselves up to that top tier, but Maryland six and one, Wisconsin six and one, in uh, Purdue six and two, Northwestern's five and two going into the Thursday game against Nebraska. So, I mean, those four teams. But like you said, I mean, Nebraska is basically a combination of two seconds away from, from being, being right the, up there. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, insane. The, the, it's a very fine line between you know the quote unquote top tier teams and the rest of the pack. So, I mean, this certainly you don't you know throw the dirt on the grave yet for Nebraska, but, you know, they, they have an uphill battle. There's no doubt about it. I mean, um, you know, the, the Northwestern is, you know, having the season of their lives, then two home games against Purdue and Michigan State, um, and those obviously aren't going to be easy because you're talking about some of the classes of the league there. So uh, it's, it, it's a, again, a situation where Nebraska's failed uh, inability to capitalize on golden opportunities um, is really kind of basically setting the season uh, back from what it could be. And if, if they were able to win some of these games that, you know, they probably should have won, you're talking about a completely different theme for this entire season. But I mean, you can't change the final score, and here Nebraska sits. As we talk Nebraska basketball here with Robin Washett, how much of it, though, is just depth? I mean, Nebraska doesn't have a quality eight-man rotation. They're pretty much just throwing Band-Aids and and plugging the dam with their finger and and putting together an eight-man rotation each night that really is not a Big Ten eight-man rotation. Well, they have Big Ten players, but like you said, there's no depth. Um, when you're working with nine scholarship players um, following the, the injury to Ed Morrow, and he doesn't seem to be back, um, expected back anytime soon. I would expect this to last well into February before um, we get a realistic chance of him seeing the court again. Um, so this is gonna, not not going to change anytime soon for Nebraska. Um, and with his loss, that's as big as anything. I mean, because basically you're eliminating um, the, the bulk of your 
low post offense, the grit, your best the rebounder. Yeah, and just from a mentality standpoint, your enforcer. I mean, the guy that was you know going to hold his own in the low post and uh, make teams earn it inside. And, you think about the Maryland and Indiana games, how hard he played, Rob, yeah. in those games. And those offensive rebounds to extend possessions and to just alter shots in the paint. I mean, uh, that is his loss it cannot be overstated i mean he's changed the entire dynamic of this lineup and as a result uh your other best players ty webster and glenn watson have had so much of the workload put on their shoulders that quite frankly i think they're wearing down i mean ty webster you know turning the ball over twice in the final two minutes uh of that rutgers game i mean he doesn't dribble the ball of his foot nebraska probably wins that game uh but i mean just the, the amount of minutes and the amount of work that they're having to do game in game out i mean i think it's wearing on them and you know, with the, the lack of depth they have they don't really have any other way to go about it, especially when the scholarship players you do have at your disposal, there's a lot of guys struggling. Isaiah Roby played eight minutes despite getting the start against Rutgers. Uh, Jariah Horn, he's struggling to do anything right now. Jack McVeigh, yeah, he made you know four three pointers against Rutgers, but um, clearly still a shell of what you know they wanted him to be going into the year. And so, I mean, they're kind of got their hands tied because uh, they don't have a lot of options uh, to do anything really different right now, especially when you add in the injuries. Yeah, I mean, there have been some positives. Jordy Schmanga has gotten better here at Robin. And then, as you mentioned, Jack McVeigh has kind of come out of a slump and he's giving this team more. And, and, and they need that. They need all the extra contributions. Heck, we saw Nick Fuller come in and give some quality minutes, even in that Ohio State loss. Um, so they're doing what they can. Uh, but, yeah, this, this stretch, I mean, you, you look at uh, playing Northwestern, uh, coming up, and then some of these other games, like you mentioned, Purdue, Michigan State, um, and then um, uh, Iowa, and then Wisconsin. I mean, any. I mean, if you get two wins out of those five, I think a lot of people would consider that a success. Yeah, if you go to KenPalm.com, which I use as a very good sounds resource, like you live on that. Site. I do. It's it's fantastic. Anyway, uh, over the next final eleven games this season, he has Nebraska winning two. Uh, and with one of those, it's a 50-some uh, a percent chance to beat Illinois at home and then a 63% chance to beat Penn State at home. Otherwise, he, right now, he has Nebraska finishing 13-17 and 17 overall and 7-11 and 11 in the conference. See, I think they could beat Michigan at home at the end of the year. That's their last home game on March 5th. You think so? Um, so if you want to go by the Ken Palm percentages, they have Nebraska losing that game, but a 47% chance to win it. So, I mean, that's a toss-up game. And so that's kind of what it's going to come down to. Can Nebraska win the toss-up games? Can they beat Michigan State at home? Michigan State, like you said, uh, is not nearly the powerhouse that they normally are. Um, can they, you know, obviously beat, uh, what's another close one? Uh, yeah, Illinois and then Michigan. At yeah. Iowa is going to be a tough game. but Yeah, Iowa, they give them a 38% chance to win that game, but. Who knows? I think a lot of it, though, is just can Nebraska hold up? I mean, I just worry about how much gas is left in the tank um, because none of these games are going to be easy. There's no such thing as an easy game, especially this late into conference play. And with the the lack of depth that we talked about and just their star players um, seemingly starting to wear down, I just uh, I'm uncomfortable thinking that Nebraska has, you know, yet another uh, resurgence left in them. But, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to prove otherwise. All right, a lot of pressure here on Tim Miles as he's just going through the meat grinder of that 18-game Big Ten schedule. Robin Washett will have full coverage of uh, all the action here, uh, including Sunday's game against Purdue. That's an afternoon game at 3.30 in Pinnacle Bank Arena. When we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Next, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
We really appreciate the support of the department. Sean stepped up on this one big time, and uh, you know when we explained uh, the re the research that we had done and and the qualities this guy brings, and and as you guys know, the landscape out there for these top coordinators is pretty interesting. It's kind of what you are going to need to do, but you know as as usual, they stepped up and did it. Sean did a great job. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Mike Riley just. Really uh, commending athletic director Sean Eichhorst of kind of opening the checkbook, stepping up uh, for the program in that hiring of Bob Diaco. Because let's face it, when Mike Riley was at Oregon State, he didn't have the ability to fire a $580,000 guy to bring in an $875,000 coordinator. It was a totally new playbook for Mike Riley to to go through this process. And, and athletic director Sean Eichhorst, who has a lot of pressure on him, rightfully so, uh, stepped up and, and, and helped them make this hire. Welcome back to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We bring in intern Matt Reynoldson as we have a full bag of questions this week, Matt, in the mailbag. Absolutely. And starting it off with a very common question from the week. It Happens to be about nose guards. And which coach do you expect to work primarily with the nose guards going <laughs> forward? Will that be John Perella's jurisdiction? I, mean, I think John Perella's really the only guy. I yeah. mean, uh, I think Perella, his life probably got a little easier. He doesn't have to manage four players, he'll manage three. So um, I can't see any of the other scenario, Nate. And I don't know, Nate, what his experience is in a 3 4 as a player. Did he play 3 4 in the NFL? Uh, that will be some stuff that Coach Perella can definitely address when we get a chance to visit with him. Yeah, I, as far as I know, he played in the four three and the the three four as a player in the NFL. So, um, you know, this is not something that's completely foreign to him. And and he he's a D line coach, and so he'll coach you know, all three positions up front. And like you said, I, I think there's a possibility that it gets even a little bit easier for him. Well, moving to the offensive side of the ball, size concerns are, seem to be rapidly disappearing for freshman quarterback Tristan Jebbia. So with him here for spring ball, do you think he gets a real chance to win the starting job? I think he'll have an opportunity to compete for it. Um, I don't necessarily see him winning it, but I think that he's good enough that they will they'll throw him in there and kind of see, you know, kind of get a barometer of exactly where he's at, where his skill set's at, what he needs to work on, you know, strengths and weaknesses, that type of, that type of thing. But I don't, I don't know if uh, we'll see him win the job. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he'll get a chance to get some reps. But the idea of a true freshman enrolling early, coming in and unseating a transfer in Tanner Lee, who we've had rave reviews after another, and then Patrick O'Brien, who's been here for a full year on campus. Um, and I, I don't necessarily like the likelihood of that, especially with the JUCO uh, kid they had added uh, just recently well and just physically I think a year from now when he goes through a full strength and conditioning year and training table when he gets up to say 200 to 10 and his lower body and his legs look bigger and stronger everyone's gonna be like wow that was definitely worth it so I, I just can't see a scenario unless injuries happened where they'd have to call on Jebbia before we get into the recruiting questions we got a basketball question that seems to be the common one that everybody wants to know every time is is miles the coach next year even if the season ends on a poor note and <laughs> going right the at it. yeah i i still say yes i mean you never know i mean if it's complete disaster and you lose their next 11 games by 20 to 30 points then i'll probably change my answer on that but as things stands right now yes he will be back next season and the reason is 
You look at the 2017-18 roster, it is, in my opinion, from a rankings perspective, the most talent Nebraska basketball has had maybe since the knee era, and that was before rankings, so hard to compare. But uh, if he loses with that uh, assembled of talent, uh, then yes, you you, you got to kind of evaluate what kind of job he's doing. But he's had five years to build this team up, and next year's roster should be good enough to compete in the Big Ten, make the NCAA tournament, and potentially win a game. It's a unique set of circumstances, though, for as bad as Nebraska basketball's been the last three years, they continue to basically sell out Pinnacle Bank Arena. I mean, there is not another Power 5 team in the country with Nebraska's struggles that get those attendance numbers. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on administrators and miles because usually if your team stinks, the arena is half full and, and that's not the case. I mean, people are just desperate for a winner in basketball here. It is, it is crazy when you look at other arenas around the nation at football schools, particularly they don't get close to the numbers that Nebraska gets at PBA. Um, so that I think adds to the pressure. Yeah. You can't sweep under the rug 5,000, people attendance like you did at Devaney. I mean, it was easy to kind of just ignore what was going on, but when you have a brand new spanking arena that you put a whole bunch of money into and all of a sudden people start coming, uh, that, that gets decisions made. Well, it seems like people are just as desperate for wins in football, which is why, or part of the reason at least, that people are so hanging on every word when it comes to recruiting. So, Nate, I'll go to you on this one. Will there be any major surprises in this year's recruiting class on National Signing Day? <laughs> Well, I think you're you're going to be in for at least a few surprises, um, you know, one way or the other. This things are setting up for kind of a a boom or bust on signing day because literally every recruit that they're in on at this point in time is seems to be going to be announcing on signing day. So you're going to see. Um, you know, Nebraska fill out the class, I think. Uh, I have no question that they'll be able to fill things out, but will it be the all of their top guys or will it be, you know, some of their – um, and I don't want to call them Plan B guys, but will it be some of the some of the the guys that that they're maybe haven't been recruiting quite as long? So, um, and that's the good thing. I, I think regardless of what happens, um, they're in on you know their, their Plan B quote unquote Plan B guys, as as people on the scrolls like to say, are are players that have offers from USC and Oregon. I mean, they're they're quality, top notch quality athletes. So. You can't go wrong, but um, yeah, signing day is going to be one crazy wild ride for sure. I think the scary thing, though, is history will tell you in, in recruiting at Nebraska that signing day announcements have not gone Nebraska's mm -hmm. way. And I think that if you're a true follower of history of Nebraska recruiting, that probably has you maybe the most worried for Wednesday because – uh, typically, the longer it goes, if it goes to signing day, those are the battles where the kid stays home or closer to home. Um, but you get the feel it's different this year, but we've said that before. And I think that's the the fear of the unknown is what makes this signing day <laughs> just so unique over all the ones we've covered. Uh, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, A. Klaus. We're taking your questions in the mailbag. Matt Reynoldson, what do you have next? Well, there's just under a week until National Signing Day of 2017, but people are already looking ahead to 2018. So I'm going to kind of mesh two questions together here to cover all my bases. But 
First of all, what type of approach do you see the staff taking next year for recruiting with limited scholarships, and who are some of the big walk-on name possibilities for 2018? I think that limited number thing will take care of itself. It will grow itself closer to 20 when it's all said and done. It always does. I don't think I've ever been around a year, and Nate can attest to this, where it's been like a 13-man class, and it just doesn't. It, it just usually takes care of itself, whether it's injuries, natural attrition. Yeah, Pelini, I think Pelini had a class there. In 18? Two, yeah, yeah, 2011 or 12. That was that was a really small class. Um, but uh, And that actually was ranked very high, but it had a ton of busts in it. But, yeah, I think that number will eventually grow closer to 20. And, and what we've seen out of the staff is that they're all about maximizing the roster. And and I think that they'll find a way to, to bring in – as many quality guys as possible and and how they approach that I mean you're gonna have to just look at it just like any other class you look at what your needs are um, but you might just have to set the bar a little bit higher um, knowing that you're not going to be able to take as many kids as you typically do any names you guys are looking at for the 2018 walk-on class walk-on for eight well it's a little early for walk-ons yeah, for 18 too early. I mean, It'd be a disservice to a kid that is trying to get offers this early to say that he's going to be a walk-on. So, yep. um, you know, I think at this point, you, you know, you don't want to speculate walk-on names until the process plays itself out. All right, well, time for one more question with Matt Reynolds in here in the mailbag. Well, as you guys know, I'm about to go through my first signing Woo-hoo! day. I'm, I'm very excited. What What are some of the best stories or crazy stories you guys have had covering signing days past? So my first signing day was in 2000, and um, – Stayed with my friend Brent Beachler in Omaha. Um, just got engaged, by the way. Congrats, Brent, um, on the board as well. And we went to like Titus Adams' press conference. We went to Chris Septex. We went to Mike Stunts and Mike McLaughlin. So I went full bore around four or five news conferences before I go to Nebraska. And that was kind of my tradition. Every year, I would try to go to all the in state events before I went to uh, the Nebraska event. But I can remember my first signing day, Carlisle Holiday was the big quarterback target. And it was so hard to get information. There were no cell phones back then. So you had to get a coach at a school phone, at his home phone, or the kid at his home phone. And I literally would try to get a hold of Carlisle Holiday at all times of the day. I pulled off on the road and tried him from pay phones, everything possible to try to get some sort of scoop on Carlisle Holiday's recruitment. He ended up picking Notre Dame, uh, was a four-star dual-threat quarterback that we thought would replace Eric Crouch. Uh, but that's one of my early memories, just uh, you know, chasing down Carlisle Holiday and even calling him from pay phones to try to get an update on signing day. Yeah, mine are... For the most part, a <laughs> negative. Um, work, working in the recruiting <laughs> really? office, yeah. So um, you know, the, it was. It's. I think it's the heartbreak ones that that stand out the most uh, when you're actually involved in, in it. Um, I remember when I was working in the recruiting office, you know, missing out on guys like Jason Pierre-Paul and and uh, Owa Odigazu or whatever <laughs> his name is. Uh, like, yeah, I can't. I, I used to be able to say it. Um, tried to erase that from my memory, but uh, Simi Cooley is is another one. All, all all three of those guys are defensive ends. DeAndre McLean was one uh, recently that everyone got because he was going to commit. He committed, then yeah. South Carolina took him on signing day from Nebraska. Um, 
But yeah, a guy like Jason Pierre-Paul on signing day, uh, it was it was all lined up for him to sign with Nebraska. He was coming. It was a done deal. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't coming. And then he was coming. And it was for about four or five hours uh, that morning, it was flipping like every half hour or so. And all the coaches were on the phones working things. And, and there for about an hour, things were silent. Nobody knew what was going on. And then you heard the news that, that he signed his letter of intent to, to South Florida, which was just a, I mean, that was a, a gut punch um, feeling. It's just, everything's completely deflated when you're, when you know a guy is in and, and you have, you know, you're, you're counting on that happening. And then all of a sudden you lose one, especially when you lose one to a program that you felt that you shouldn't lose one to. Uh, it was uh, very discouraging. The one that stands out for me was uh, the year when Bo Pelini used his signing day press conference as somewhat of a platform to just bash recruiting rankings. And his big point was, uh, look at the teams playing in the Super Bowl right now. What's the average star ranking of those players? And I remember around the media court, the response to that, we didn't say it to him, but the response to it was, well, what was the average star ranking of the teams playing for a national championship? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and then there was one year when Bo fired guys – or push them out on signing day, or process them out, as the new buzzword would be. And he refused to have a press conference because he did not want to get addressed with questions about it. Um, and we had to do a teleconference with Bo Pelini, and uh, several radio stations like aired the teleconference on the radio. It was just a disaster. Like, why the heck would you not have a signing day press conference? Is beyond me. Other than the fact that Bo did not want to be asked about basically firing, I think it was Sean Watson and Ted Gilmore that year and, and processing him out the door. Um, and then Bo didn't even show up to the recruiting dinner that, that same year, nor did those guys. So there was definitely some uh, backdoor drama with Polini on signing day. So uh, we have to take a break here. When we come back, I promise we are going to talk recruiting two full segments with Nate Klaus. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Andrew is a junior college quarterback that when we approached him about being here, we did some film study on who could that guy be, you know, because we ran into, as you know, at the end, some issues with the depth of that position. We wanted to add a walk-on quarterback, and so we, we he was actually the first guy we reached out to. I think it'll be good for our depth and I think that room is just the right size I don't want any bigger but as we found out we can't have it any smaller either and welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, head coach Mike Riley discussing the latest quarterback edition in Nebraska. They kind of quietly brought in Andrew Bunch, who was a former Rivals.com 5.53 star quarterback that had multiple FCS offers, runs under a 4640, uh, did very well at some of the Rivals events before going to Scottsdale Community College, Nate. But um, did you find it interesting that they kind of kept this one hush hush? Um, was that by design, or I mean, what was the thought process of kind of? You know, making you know, because all the walk-ons have been pretty well noted, but this one definitely got kind of kept pretty quiet. Yeah, it's interesting the way that played out. I don't know if it's because Andrew isn't necessarily all that active on on uh, social media, and it definitely wasn't on anybody's radar. So I think that played a part of it. But um, yeah, you know, I could see where maybe Nebraska didn't really want to publicize this too much and, and make it a bigger deal than than maybe what it needed to be since. 
Um, you know, they brought in a, a graduate or a transfer quarterback last year, bringing in a JUCO quarterback this year. Um, you know, that, that could be some ammunition that, that some other teams use against Nebraska in their quarterback recruiting, even though he's just a, you know, just a walk-on. But well, this is about as good of a walk-on quarterback as you're going to ever get. I oh, mean, absolutely. you know, Riker Fife obviously was a great walk-on um, you know, Ron Kellogg, I guess you could call a great walk-on quarterback. He played and did some key things here at Nebraska. But, um, you know, you look at Bunch and his his uh, skill set, and it's very intriguing. Yeah, it is. He could do a bunch of different things for you. He obviously comes in and, and has some experience under his belt. Um, so I, I think it was, it was a smart move by Nebraska because, like Mike Riley said in the intro there, they – They've got they had a lack of depth there in that room and and there was there were some times where things were pretty pretty hairy especially in the last few games of the season so um, you definitely don't want to go any smaller than than what what they were at um, and now you've got some quality arms on the team you've got some quality athletes on the team at that position and, and I think you have to feel a lot better about the where that where that group is now um, and going forward than what it was when Mike Riley originally came aboard and one other note Riley shared about the quarterback position is Zach Darlington will still continue to rep a package of kind of zone read offensive plays to be a change of pace quarterback and I kind of like that idea I mean Indiana you did it at times this year in the red zone to bring in a guy I don't know if they're going to go to that extent and 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 have them there, but I think they want to keep that in their back pocket, Nate. Yeah, it's it's nice to have um, the option to do that if you want to, or if, if a certain situation arises, um, you know, and, and you want to rep that. Obviously, you don't want to just bring in Zach Darlington, um, you know, in the cold and and try to you know tell him, hey, we're gonna this is what we're gonna run. So uh, I think it makes sense to do it, and that way, if you ever get into a situation or or playing against a team that you think it could be really effective in or against um you know you can you can kind of pull that out of your out of your back pocket if you ever need it all right you're listening to the husker online show sean callahan nate klaus as we are getting you ready for signing day and nebraska had a big recruiting weekend nate this past weekend they'll have kind of a smaller scale weekend here uh, with a handful of visitors in here this weekend but what can you tell us about the weekend uh diamador lenore was in lincoln the number nation's number one ranked athlete elijah blades a top corner among many other top guys that were here in lincoln well, yeah, and, and then you had Brian Thompson, a, a four-star wide receiver. So you had you had three four-star athletes, all from California. Um, you know, all from you know, all amongst the top players in the state of California, and uh, especially with Lenore and Blades. I mean, those are two guys that are regarded, you know, two top 100 players that are regarded as as uh, a couple of the top athletes in, in the state of California, and and really in, in the entire country. Lenore, I think, is. Uh, especially after his performance at the U.S. Army All-American game, I think uh, there's no question that that uh, he's one of the more superior athletes in the country and, and could possibly make an impact on offense, defense, uh, and special teams. And that's kind of what they pitched to him. You know, it was, he called it the Adore Jackson, um, you know, pitch where they they think he can come in and and, and primarily be a cornerback for them, but also find a role on offense as a wide receiver and, and make an impact on special teams as a return guy. And, and that's a very appealing to him. You know, a lot of these types of kids nowadays um, that are super athletic, um, I mean, everyone's aware of, of branding. All these kids want to try and make it to the NFL, and especially now that guys like Adoree Jackson and Jabril Peppers have... They want that. He called it the Adoree package. Yeah, and now that they've had some success playing on both sides of the the ball uh, in college and and have kind of you know um 
maybe created a brand almost, you know, their household names. I think a lot of other kids now are saying, well, that's what I want to do too. I, I, I can be that guy. I can do that. And, um, and so I think that was important for Nebraska to kind of lay that out for uh, D'Amador. But the other thing is, is he, you know, he came in for the spring game last year, uh, enjoyed that visit, but really wasn't able to spend a ton of time with the coaches and with the players. He was able to bring his parents in this week and and really bond with the coaching staff, bond with a bunch of the players on the team, and and uh, you know and have his parents see a lot of the same things that he saw last spring, and and so I think that comfort level for him, um, you know, went through the roof this past weekend, and you know heading into the this official visit, I think Oregon had a had a huge lead on Nebraska, but right now I think that lead is I think it's a coin flip. I think it's Oregon and Nebraska at this point in time. We're going to find out on Sunday. Day, but he would be a, a monster, monster get for Nebraska if they could pull this off. And and if anyone can do it, I think it's Dante Williams. Um, you know, and then you look at, at Elijah Blades, who was committed to Florida when he came in uh, this weekend. Another kid, uh, another cornerback out of out of California that's got a great relationship with Dante Williams. You know, Dante was actually the first coach to offer him uh, when he was at Arizona. So um, they go, their relationship goes way back. And and uh, you know, he has since decommitted from Florida and it says that he has a top five but you know I, I think that this is uh, he's it's safe to say he's a Nebraska lean uh, big Nebraska lean and, and that's huge because you're talking about a 6'3 180 pound corner um, you know who those those types of guys don't grow on trees and and this is a player that was highly coveted by a lot of different schools out there and um, it could be one of those deals where since Nebraska had the last shot at him, uh, they they can pull him off, and uh, it worked out pretty well for Nebraska as well. That, that he's playing in an All Star game in Orlando, Florida this week, so uh, as well as uh, with the Diamador Lenore. So both those guys aren't able to have coaches, aren't able to have meetings with coaches uh, during this week while they prepare for their All Star game, uh, which is Saturday night at eight thirty. So, and that also means that they won't be taking any other visits uh, this coming weekend, the last weekend before signing day. So all the stars are kind of aligning up there for Nebraska has worked out pretty well and, and I know Dante Williams and the Nebraska coaching staff has been in with those with the parents of those kids and uh, things are things have gone pretty well. Nate, uh, I want to go over just a few of the current commits where there are just some things to follow. Brandon Hymas made his visit. There was always this fear factor because Texas offered him, uh, but it, s- it sounds like all went well there. And then um, a couple other names, uh, DeAndre Thomas had the Notre Dame and some other type of people on him. He uh, came in and, and everything went well, it appeared from his weekend. But the other guy I want to ask about is Guy Thomas. I mean, what the heck is going on with this guy? Um, you know, he came in and gave the, my word is as strong as Oak. I'm really happy. Had a great time at Nebraska. I'm, I love it. Um, and all of a sudden he comes out and says he may be taking more trips here, including Louisville this weekend. Yeah, I mean, well, he's taken – he took a, an official visit to Maryland before he ever visit, once visited Nebraska. Uh, he's been committed to Nebraska since the summertime. But, um, you know, it's one of the stranger commitments or recruitments that I can remember in a while. Uh, there's been a couple of those this cycle that will probably stick with me for quite a while. Uh, but it, it's it's hard to tell exactly what's going on with him. I, I, I certainly would caution people um, – 
to expect him to sign with Nebraska on signing day. I feel like if you're when you're committed to a school and you're saying uh, publicly that I'm going to finalize my recruitment on signing day, people will know where I'm going on signing day. Well, that generally doesn't bode very well for the school that you've been committed to for the last six months because how many kids actually say, okay, I'd like to announce that I'm I'm sticking with Nebraska. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't really add up. You don't see that very often where a kid who's been committed to one school uh, makes a big deal out of uh, eventually signing with that school on signing day. So um, I'd be a little nervous there um, if you're a Nebraska fan, and, and I'm I'm certain that the coaching staff is trying to – Can they get in the living room on Sunday with him if he's going to be on another trip? It's going to be very difficult, right, yeah, Nate? I, I wouldn't expect that to happen. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're trying to make it work, but – um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Certainly, wouldn't count on that happening. So, uh, and Pitt was was just in home with him the other night. I know uh, uh, Narduzzi was was in his home uh, for a home visit. So, um, yeah, Louisville, as as Nebraska fans found out last year, uh, when with the whole Des Fitzpatrick deal right before signing day, that's that's it's uh, never never a school you want uh, one of your commitments visiting. There's other factors. Yeah, there could be there could be some <laughs> some other factors in play there uh but you know the good thing is is you've got guys like brendan hymas who you know what has been committed to nebraska since last spring um and and had a late rush of offers down the stretch from a bunch of in-state schools um you know he's from austin texas texas comes in with an offer baylor comes in with an offer tcu comes in with an offer all wanting him to take visits and he turned all those schools down to stick with nebraska so i think you have to love that and same with deandre thomas has been committed to the Huskers for a long time had no Notre Dame all over him uh, but takes a visit this past weekend mom and DeAndre are all on board with the Huskers and uh, you couldn't ask for much more from those two kids all right when we come back we're going to set you up for what's going to be maybe one of the busier signing days that we've ever seen around Nebraska we'll get Nate's full rundown of as a Husker fan what you need to be watching and kind of a rundown of the announcements and what we know that's next year you're listening to the Husker online show You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we are getting you geared up for National Signing Day on Wednesday, Nate, and it is going to be a day. I mean, the four to seven hours of kind of announcements that are going to be going on, Husker Online, first of all, may blow up. I mean, it is going to be as busy of a day on the Red Sea Scrolls with announcements, Husker fans. It's going to be so much to process, Nate. I don't even know how even a guy in your shoes kind of processes uh, what could be happening on Wednesday. Yeah, this is uh, – I'm, I'm... – <laughs> How do you? I mean, it's just kind of one game at a time. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to how to prepare or how to attack this prepare. because uh, because literally, like I said earlier, there's every like every target that they're in on right now is is planning to announce either on signing day or right right before signing day. So. Um, and that's like 12 guys. I mean, there's going to be tw- right around 12 announcements that are happening on signing day. And I think that Nebraska, with where they're at, having 17 commitments in this class, and, and I think they're going to end up signing anywhere between 22 and 24, that means that signing day is going to be uh, crazy, crazy busy. Yeah, I think the key, Nate, like any signing day, is getting that cherry on top. And and last year it was Lamar Jackson getting him laid and Matt Farniak. Those were the kind of the two cherries on top for Nebraska. 
how many cherries on top this year will it take to really make signing day have that feel of success? Well, I, I think that it's going to take at least two or three, I think, to to make people feel really good about this. Like a satisfaction. You know, if it goes sour, like we've learned, I mean, that DeAndre McLean, the guy ended up being a bust. But man, it, it can sour. I mean, just the whole the whole mood of the day. Yeah, yeah, it can it can really turn things um, one way or the other uh, quickly too. It doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot uh, to to kind of put a bad taste in your mouth, especially because w- with the way this recruiting class started, um, you know, it, it was I think for a long time it looked like it was going to be pretty darn special, and it is really good right now. The the quality of player in this class I think is is very high, um, but they've invested a a lot of time and effort on some big time names and if if for some reason things don't go their way I think I think the fan base and, and probably safe to say the coaches will even be you know pretty pretty uh, disappointed with how things shake out but I, I'm still optimistic I think things um, you know for the most part will go Nebraska's way I don't think they'll get everybody obviously but um, I think they'll win some big battles down the stretch to that will make people say hey this is pretty special class yeah I think Nate a lot of it is can they get to that quality 22 23 or even more and you know, if they, they show up on signing day with 20 or 21, I think you will kind of maybe sense a little letdown. So um, that that's kind of the key is getting those cherries on top and being above 21, 22. Yeah, if you're below 22, in my opinion, then then it was it was not a good finish at all uh, for Nebraska. And I, I think they will get above, at 22 or above. And, and I think there's a chance that the class ends up finishing inside the top 20. Um, in fact, I, I'm, I'm kind of predicting that it, that it will be a top 20 class uh, somewhere in that 17 to 20 range, I think. Uh, there's a, you know, if things go really well, it could be a little higher than that. But um, yeah, it, I think for this class to be a success and for you to feel really good about how things wrapped up, I think it has to be between 22 and 24 commitments and sneaking inside of that top 20. All right, Nate, let's go down as we break down signing day and get you ready for Wednesday. Give us just a snapshot of the guys Nebraska's involved in. And, I mean, it's up to maybe 12 names, but just run them down, you know, in kind of an orderly process for a user to kind of get an idea. Let's do you want to do offense then defense or how yeah. do you how do you want to do? Let's yeah. let's go with the offensive names first. Okay, offense. Uh, I think you have to start with running back. They already have a running back in Jalen Bradley, but they're wanting to bring in another uh, running back. CJ Verdell is is that guy that they they've kind of gone all out on to to add to the class. And and right now he's committed to Oregon. But he says he's going to finalize things on signing day. So, uh, like I said earlier, when, when that's happening, it's usually not a good sign for the school that, that the player is currently committed to. So, well, a lot of ammo you can use against Oregon with the new the offensive coordinator being fired and then yeah. the, and the, the uh, intense strength and conditioning program going on up in Corvallis, or not Corvallis, but Eugene right now. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Plus, um, you know, he has a tremendous relationship with Reggie Davis. So, I think this is definitely a kid to keep an eye on as someone who could uh, potentially pick Nebraska on Wednesday. Receivers. Uh, receivers. There's really four wideouts left that are on the table. And they take two? 
Um, they take at least two. Yeah, it, it, I think two is the target number. If you if you get a surprise like a Joseph Lewis, then obviously you don't turn that that kid away. You basically, cram a guy in the middle of the back seat. I mean, you just find room. Yeah, you find room. So um, you're looking at Joseph Lewis, uh, the obviously the former kid, five star. Yeah, former five star kid that we've talked about a ton has visited Nebraska three times. Brian Thompson, the four star wideout uh, from Moreno Valley, uh, Rancho Verde, that visit visited Nebraska last week. Um, is is I think he had a tremendous visit. I, I, I feel like the interview I had with him following uh, his trip was extremely positive. Both he and his mother love their time here. Uh, but then he's come out and said that uh, Utah actually has a little bit of a lead, whereas I felt like the main school that Nebraska had to f- fend off for him was probably going to be UCLA. So we'll see what happens. I know that Nebraska has a late in-home visit this week with him, and, and that could be something that turns the tide there. Uh, then you have Jeremiah Hawkins, the Cal commit that visited Nebraska uh, this past uh, or two weekends ago, rather. Uh, Very tight to the Dante Williams, kind of Keith Williams click of guys there, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. He, he's he been, uh, he's very close with Keith Williams. The, the two of them have been, uh, you know, talking for well over a year now. He, he visited for the spring game, obviously came back, took an official visit here with the, the coaching uncertainty at, at Cal, really opened the door up for him. And right now, I, I think it's, uh, he says it's a two-team race between Cal and, and Nebraska. Nebraska, and I think that's this is something or a kind of a uh, a battle that Nebraska could win out here to get Jeremiah Hawkins, and then you have Jameer Calvin, who has recently said that it's Nebraska and Washington State, and. You know, I, I uh, I'd like to say that that Jameer Calvin's all Nebraska. I, I think that makes sense. There's there's literally a hundred different reasons why you could say Jameer Calvin should pick Nebraska or will pick Nebraska. But as we learned at the Army game, I don't think that that anyone's really going to know what's going to happen with Jameer Calvin until he actually signs his letter of intent. Um, I, I part of me feels like Washington State is it was thrown out there just so he could have a, a, another hat on the table. Uh, but at the yeah, same you just time, think about the logical relationship of Nebraska, and, and there's nobody even close, Nate. No, with Jameer Calvin. No, and it, but at the same time, maybe maybe he sees a different opportunity playing in that air raid offense. How many pros has Mike Leach produced other than Michael Crabtree? Well, and and I would argue that Michael Crabtree may have been a more productive pro if he played in more of a pro-style offense. I I don't know. Uh, But, uh, yeah, all signs point to Nebraska here. But, again, I – I think it's, Your guess, any, yeah. I mean, it's this anyone's guy, guess right now because he's been – it's literally been all over the board for the last month and a half. After after nearly an, you know, an entire year or eight months or six months or whatever it was of him being – pretty down the middle looking you know looking really good for Nebraska or being a, a lean for Nebraska for you know at least six months all of a sudden he's been all over the place uh, for the last month so. I mean this guy was at the wedding ready to walk up the aisle then left in a limo with another girl yes. I, mean, I mean it was it was that close to be, I mean it was it was a bad deal and yeah. so tight end Nate uh, just uh, one name yeah just one name Kurt Raftall the big 6'7 235 pound kid out of uh, Carmel High School in, in Indiana there uh, took his official visit to Nebraska took one to uh, Iowa last week um, you know just picked up an offer from LSU so it's going to be interesting to see if he visits Baton Rouge this weekend before signing day the thing about Kurt Raftall is he does not talk with 
hardly anybody. Um, and when he does talk with a reporter, he really is very good at giving absolutely nothing away. I don't think any anyone really knows what uh, what he's going to do. I, I feel confident in saying that I think Nebraska stands a good chance at landing him. But at the same time, I'm not going to say, yeah, I pencil Kurt Raftall in for Nebraska's signing class. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. What I do know is that Nebraska's been very high on him from the from the get go. They've been recruiting him hard since last spring. Um, you know, even when they filled up at tight end with the commitment of Reese Leto in August, there was two players that they continued to recruit, and one was Kurt Raftall, the other one was Josh Falo, a top 100 uh, tight end out of California. And so when Leto decommitted. Um, you know, Raftal had actually decommitted from Indiana and, and opened things up too. So that kind of got Nebraska right back in it. So there's a, a very good relationship, an established relationship between Raftal and Tavita Thompson, uh, which is good. So uh, things, I think it's it's uh, trending upwards with him. Now defensively, Nate, um, when you look at it, on the front seven, um, other than Damian Daniels, and then obviously Guy Thomas currently commit. There's some drama on what's going to happen there. Are there any linebackers or defensive linemen other than Damian Daniels and Guy Thomas you're going to watch on that front seven? No, nope, but it's it's just one guy in that front seven. That's Damian Daniels, the six two, three hundred twenty pound kid. Out big, of, big. I mean, one of the top priority guys, though. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you could say that he is the top priority uh, in this. You know, out of the remaining targets on this list, I, I think with what he brings to the table as far as uh, especially with the new change in scheme, being six two, three twenty. Um, you know, an all-star, all-state selection. Um, you know, one of the top defensive linemen in the D- Dallas Metroplex area. This would be a huge, huge get for the Huskers. Uh, and then you look at, at defensive back. That, that's now, where all the drama. That's is. That's right? where all the drama is really between wide receiver and defensive back. It's all the skill guys. Go figure, right? Uh, so you've got uh, the need for one or two defensive backs, but you've got about five guys there to pick from. So you have to feel like Nebraska is going to round out that class relatively well. Greg Johnson, the teammate of Joseph Lewis, is obviously um, a kid that they've been on for a long, long time. Dante Williams was able to secure his commitment at Arizona. And then when Dante came to Nebraska, he decommitted from Arizona. Uh, But now it seems like this is going to be a Nebraska-USC race, uh, maybe Oregon in there just a little bit. Uh, I I feel like USC has a little bit of the edge right now, though. Uh, Diamador Lenore, like we talked earlier, one of the top overall athletes in the country. This is Oregon, Nebraska. Uh, And right now I feel like it's a coin flip. Uh, Nebraska is supposed to be in a home with him late this week. And again, I think that could be what pushes him over the edge potentially. Uh, Just like Elijah Blades, he's at that all-star game. So uh, he's not being bombarded with a bunch of coaches coming by his school or coming by his house and and, uh, seeing him in person, which actually could play to Nebraska's um, favor here, especially since I think Elijah Blades, who is all of a sudden a a very, very big Nebraska lean, you know, those two guys are friends. And not only did they spend all weekend on campus with one another uh, during their official visit, but now they're spending all week in Orlando, Florida, uh, practicing together for for the international bowl, playing for Team USA uh, there. So uh, I think the stars could be kind of aligning there for the Huskers. And then you have a, a couple wild cards here: Michael Anye Mayobi. Uh, who's a former Cal commit that's reopened things up. Uh, really, Nebraska's in on him strictly because of Dante Williams. Uh, and then De- Tony Wallace, who's currently committed to Arizona. 
who is a, a terrific athlete out of Las Vegas, who once again, uh, Nebraska is in the mix here strictly because Dante Williams. And I think if Nebraska wants Tony Wallace, they get him. I, I think that's a slam dunk. Uh, if the numbers work out, he will be a part of this uh, recruiting class. No question about it. Well, it's going to be a very busy, busy signing day. I promise you next week on Thursday, we will have a complete show that's 100% recruiting with me and Nate Klaus. Um, and we may even throw in the mailbag. Uh, we'll see kind of how things shake out, though, as there, there might be just too much to get to uh, here for an hour show. So um, we'll get you ready, though, as make sure you're on Husker Online. It is your number one source for recruiting coverage in the state of Nebraska following the Huskers. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.